This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash artscouncilengland. YouTube or Twitter aren't the authors. We found out through what you could call accidental due diligence. Save the last gherkin for me. Hello, I'm Anthony Lilly, Chief Executive of Magic Lantern. We're coming to you today from the Digital Capacity Seminar Number 5 at the BBC White City, where we're discussing the issues facing arts and cultural organisations around digital rights management and intellectual property. During this podcast, we'll bring you a roundup of the day's proceedings by sharing some of the highlights, including presentations, case studies and advice from experts in the field. The video and audio from all the masterclasses and seminars is available at artscouncil.org.uk slash digitalcapacity. That's artscouncil.org.uk slash digitalcapacity. And don't forget to share and bookmark the podcasts. And big round of applause for the host today, Anthony Lilly. Um, thank you, Eddie. I don't think I've ever been called the host before. Makes me always think I should do a sort of song and dance number now. Um, Thanks for coming. Um, uh, the objective of the day, as with all of these um, building digital capacity seminars, is to, um, is to be practical, to learn from practitioners' real experience um, and to, to get a grip of, of the topic. Um, we're starting with, um, frankly, one of the best qualified people you can have to talk about this. We've known each other a little while on and off over the years. Ben Green, is, you've got some enormous BBC titles everybody always does have. Head of Rights, Business Development, Talent and Rights Negotiation Group at the BBC, which means you're at the sharp end of doing rights and talent negotiations um, in a day, on a daily basis. Right, well, thank you very much for inviting me to um, do a quick session at the start of this um, afternoon. Generally, rights as a subject and intellectual property has come right up the political agenda. And um, not only politically, but economically, uh, the government have been looking at this in terms of how to boost the UK's creative economy, how we can support creative economy better, how we can make it easier to use rights, um, etc. And I'm sure some of you are aware of those um, movements and, and initiatives and consultations that are going on as we speak. Um, as creative content producers, however, though, we all need to engage with our audience better. We've got to deliver our broadcasts, our recordings, our books, our artworks, our pieces of music, to an audience in exactly the way they want it, on whatever platform they want it, and when they want it. It's no, no longer good enough to be in the analog, the old analog world where we just do one performance or we do one broadcast and then it just gathers dust for the rest of time. Um, it, those days have long gone and I think we, need, we all need to embrace that challenge. That also forces us to engage with rights and rights holders. And in that respect, we all need to act responsibly, fairly, and also innovatively. And we need to find a way of delivering our content, uh, our great content, legally. That's, that's the most important thing. So, very quickly, I'm going to just go through the four different types of how we contract copyright holders and performers. We have all rights agreements, we have collective agreements, we have collective licenses and we have agreed standard terms where possible. So an all rights model is a comprehensive rights grant where we're able to do anything we like with the, the uh, material within reason. We have collective agreements where we determine with the framework body, the representative body, 
um, we determine the rights granted and the payment models depending on the subsequent uses of the material we make. And that can cover actors, scriptwriters, freelance musicians. Collective licensing that, or blanket licensing, that's also sometimes called, is where we have a big collective license. And this is what we'd have with the music industry, where we write a check once a year, we report our use to that body, and they disseminate the monies amongst their members. And lastly, standard terms agreements where possible. So we have in place standard terms agreements for artistic works, photographs, published material with the Publishers Association and Society of Authors, for example, and also film sequences. We have our own um, uh, license agreement, which we try and in, in put in place. So what's the, what's the process we go through of checking rights when we look at material that we want to use? What we always do is start with the program rights. So who actually owns the program itself? Is it the BBC? Is it an independent company? Is it um, a distributor who's swept up all the rights? Um, that's the first question. Before we start looking at who's in the program, we always start with the program rights on that basis. We also look at whether that's commercially exploited currently um, to start seeing and assessing whether there's going to be some issues or arguments why they wouldn't grant us those rights. So is it currently on Amazon for sale? Is it on DVD? Is it sold abroad? Is it sold in the UK? Are there distribution rights under license? Whether that's with Worldwide, BBC Worldwide, is it with some other distributor who's got uh, a certain amount of period of time to exploit those rights? Um, that's another question. And under this bracket, we also say, is there any acquired film in that material? Um, because that can lead into a whole raft of different processes. And then we move on to contributor rights. So once you've got the program rights sorted out, you move on to contributor rights. The older the material, the increase the, ri the risk. The risk goes up. Because of the old paperwork, we can't find contracts. Um, um, but that, that does ramp up the administration, and it ramps up the time that you'll need to clear rights. However, don't assume that it's all going to be difficult. You know, I'm not here to kind of say it's all doom and gloom and rights is a horrible thing to get into. It's not. And you can actually find your way through it. And some rights have already been acquired, or you just need to pay something. Um, so, so please don't go away with the impression that it's all horrible. Um, just a quick bit of advice and to kind of helpful advice. You know, when you start looking at use of archive, from our perspective, um, we try and advise people the rights light areas, if you like. So where, where are the areas where you, can't, you won't get snared and snagged up in complex rights issues? Well, we've got a, quite a big stock shots or stock film library where it's just general, general scenery, general landscapes, buildings, etc. Um, and there's a lot of good stuff in there that we can draw on that's got no rights holders whatsoever. Um, local news is often all rights. Uh, general events and observational documentaries where everybody has um, signed up kind of release forms and the presenters on all rights, etc. And then the rights heavy areas. So drama and comedy, um, documentaries and music performances. And lastly, areas to avoid. Um, and this is something just from our own practical experience, really. So sport, sports clips are incredibly expensive, for one thing. Um, historical docs. 
acquired programming, well, that's not the BBC's, but essentially, you know, if you want to go and use a clip of Mad Men or a feature film, Hollywood feature film, you're looking at thousands of dollars per minute. Um, and last but not least, royal events. We have to have some sensitivity there about royal events. Just a quick note on crediting. Um, copyright holders, as I said before, un unless waived, unless they waive these rights, they have the moral right to uh, be identified as the author of the work or the creator. So you should bear that in mind. YouTube or Twitter aren't the authors. The people who make the footage, stills or text, are the authors. Um, there are, as some of you know, Creative Commons type licenses or Creative Commons licenses where accreditation is actually the only requirement. So, just to wrap up, um, common <coughs> clearance issues. So, if somebody was coming to me saying, well, what do I do with rights? You know, where, where do I start? Well, I say, first thing is, give yourself plenty of time. Don't run out of time. You, you can deliver fantastic, great projects um, and products when you give yourself adequate research time, contracting time, and clearance time when you're doing your planning. Um, and just don't run out of time. Um, it's always best to agree the uses uh, and stick to them, or you build a kind of clear, phased approach of where you want to go with your project. Um, budget appropriately, not only for the rights payments, but also uh, including uh, the underwriting, the risk, if you can't find people. Just put some money aside to make sure that if they put their hand up and come out of the woodwork, you can pay them. Uh, but also, importantly, the clearance resource, so finding somebody that can do the clearance for you. And lastly, if you're serving program material, including music, you will need a, uh, a license from the music collecting societies to either broadcast or make available content. Um, but they will help you on that. They, will, they have, they're readily set up to help you on getting those licenses. One of the things that seems important to me is ways that we can just become well-versed with understanding rights issues because it can seem like a very complex and uh, legal and litigious area and if we can find sort of um, practical, straightforward and kind of easy access inroads into it, that would be really, really useful. Uh, yeah, I'm, my name's Jo Higgins and I, my title is the Young People's Web Content Manager at the South London Gallery where I'm actually based in the education department. So no legal background, no rights background, a bit of a let's work this out as we go along. Um, and I manage the recreative website. Uh, the site is part of a wider collaborative project called the Louis Vuitton Young Arts Project. So effectively, there are two distinct types of content on the site that we deal with. Uh, there's the community-generated art blogs, and then there's the commissioned content that we create and commission in the form of short films, audio, picture galleries, um, etc, etc. I think it would be fair to say when we started, before we launched, that we knew not a lot about rights and contracts and permissions. We just knew that we needed to know something about it. And the major part of the site is the content that we commission and create each month, which is predominantly short films. And I thought I'd show you one of the very short films that we made at the beginning, which was part of the content for the launch. And I'll tell you a bit about it afterwards, but watching it now, it's a bit of a, a spot, spot the rights issues, shall we say. So um, if I could play the film, please, that would be great.
this was a film that sat on the expert section of the site. Um, we organised the interview with Tate's sort of online and press and marketing teams and we did it before gallery hours because we knew that we'd otherwise we'd have to have signage up to get the general public aware and we didn't want to have to deal with those kind of clearance issues. Um, it was filmed in the Devine and the Claw Galleries because the Henry Wallace work that features is copyright free. So we knew that we could film that work and we had somebody from Tate on hand to say make sure you don't film this work and make sure you... So things that we just had absolutely no idea about. But you know, so all of these things we sort of found out through I guess what you could call accidental due diligence a week before the launch. So we had a mad administrative scramble trying to get everything signed off and one of the things that also we didn't realise at the time but you know we work with external freelance filmmakers that the music in the film is royalty free and they had taken care of that but we had to take care of the fact that they were taking care of that. Uh, we needed release forms, we needed an agreement, location agreement for Tate to sign saying they were happy for us to film it. So we sort of had all of these mad things that we knew that we needed to do and we had existing templates that we'd inherited from the South London Galleries sort of procedures but didn't have anything recreative specific at the time. So that was something that once we got through the madness of the launch and getting it up there, we then retrospectively went back and, and made sure that we had that. Um, I think, you know, in terms of, of what we've learned from, from the launch, from the last 12 months, and what we're still you know, getting to grips with, I think what I've learned personally is that it's really important to be sort of systematic and I think to know what you need clearances for before the day, if and wherever possible, and anticipate things that you don't know that you might need. And on a really practical level, bring all the forms with you on the day, otherwise you'll be chasing people for weeks and or months trying to get signatures from them. Um, I think really kind of the key thing that I've, I've learned in the way that I approach all of the rights issues and the copyright, you know, the way that kind of keeps me sane, I guess, is to sort of, to approach these communications and discussions as a way to build a network and to build awareness and, and credibility, really, for the site and to, to build a community outside of this young arts community. And, I mean, Recreative is now a year old and those relationships for us are really invaluable, both in terms of creating interesting content, but also in terms of a wider support. So, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, really useful to hear about the uh, Recreative UK project. I think that they uh, demonstrated quite a straightforward and straight up approach to how we can approach this area, which I think for a lot of people, including myself, can seem quite daunting. I think I would take away from this um, that idea of sort of creating networks, that these projects help you, and these days, help you to see, well, actually, we do have a connection with them, we do have a connection with them. Carolyn um, um, Royston from the um, Imperial War Museum, everybody. Um, when I joined IWO in 2009, just to paint the picture, um, there was no digital media department. Uh, there was an old website and collections online which was no longer fit for purpose. We have very complex IP and copyright issues. The organisation was extremely risk averse in its approach to collections, so it was quite a difficult um, uh, area to negotiate. We began to develop, develop requirements for a new website and collection search in 2010. And now um, we have an IP officer and she has become, it has become a, a pivotal position in the museum. I call uh, what she does really being a change agent. Um, and I don't think three years ago that would have been um, really thought of at all. Um, 
IP and copyright is of interest to everybody in the organisation. <coughs> it's not about three or four people who are responsible for it or the curators that sit over there. I'm interested in it. Marketing are in interested in it. Exhibitions <coughs> are interested in it. It's a museum-wide um, activity. Our collection sales have risen since the launch of the new website and collection search and, and having more permissive rights. And finally, really importantly, as an organisation, we have moved and this is from the top of the organisation down to through the curators, we have moved from being risk averse to risk aware and this has up to opened up our thinking and created more opportunities for the organisation. Thanks. Gets ready. I just, um, I'm really interested in the IP officer. Yes. Um, and just sort of, uh, we'll come back to this no doubt later. So what kind of person do you hire to be an IP officer and what does their day look like? Um, and can we meet this person? Um, you can maybe talk to me about that afterwards. Okay. So I'm not asking um, for a debt, it's just a kind of... You know. um, it's, it, I mean, I think, it's, um, I think it's, a, it's a really interesting position to be in in the, mu in the museum world at the right. moment, because yeah. I, think it, I think has been in the past a bit of a sidelined you know, person in a dark room with lots of paper. Um, and I think increasingly what, what we're saying to our IP officer, and not just her, but other people who have a vested interest, that you need to get more involved in the business of the museum. Right. You need to understand what the museum is doing and how I want to use assets as opposed to how our commercial director wants to use them um, and uh, what are the risks associated with that and actually where is the real conflict. Right. Because actually there is, often isn't really any. There's perceived conflict, but there really isn't. So there's a lot of explaining in her job, there's, presumably. Yeah, and there's a lot of, of, you know, getting herself into the right meetings and talking to the right people. So she's gone onto the, onto the front foot, she, it, it, where that role might have been a sort of service job, yeah. clearing the rights for somebody who knows what they think they want. She's now sort of out on the front. And it's right. really interesting as to who has to do all this all day is fascinating. I think in general people are becoming less risk averse um, and are trying to test the water about how to do certain things or how to exploit certain material. I am here today because we are recreating a cross-media platform and in order to do that we are going to be using our repackaging material so we have to have a lot of consideration of copyrights and clearances of this kind of matters. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, yes, yeah, I'm Charlie from my film and television. Um, um, we're program makers. That's really where we started from. Um, and we worked with John Peel back in 2002 um, and became friends with him, um, like millions of other people. <coughs> very sad when he died in 2004. Um, and then we heard about the space. Um, and we actually only heard about the space the night before we were actually due to get an application in. Um, and um, we thought, this is a perfect opportunity to look at John Peel's record collection. And in the past, several people had looked at the record collection, thought about the record collection, said, surely this is something that should go online. And then everyone had gone, music, clearance. Oh, my God. It's just a nightmare. So um, we actually just went completely the opposite way and said, actually, forget music clearance altogether. What's in John Peel's record collection? Don't people actually really want to know what's in the collection itself? So let's forget, just part music clearance for the moment and then let's see if we can do something with the record collection, make it available for people to do and the space and there was 26 weeks and there's 26 letters of the alphabet. So we've, we've created a site. So for every week and we're K, the letter K goes live tomorrow so you can have a look at the letter K, um, we produce a 
um, sort of five to seven minute film about a, an artist. So we're making 26 short films, and so each of these films have the usual clearance issues around, around them. Um, Right, Peel Sessions. So this is one of the issues, music, clearance. What are we going to do about clearance? We've said, oh, we don't need to worry about clearance. Then we've got a site with John Peel on. You've got to have some music on it. So what we did is we linked it through using Spotify. Um, and actually, Spotify um, have over 200 John Peel Sessions that actually are on there at the moment. It was a way to actually make sure that people who really wanted to listen to it um, did get a chance to do so. So um, we... We then come through to the actual record collection itself. So, so we looked at music rights, and the, the obvious um, thing was to go with Spotify. Now, Spotify has its lovers and haters, um, and we've had a certain number of people who've sort of said, oh, we can't get Spotify. Spotify doesn't work in every country of the world. And in countries where Spotify doesn't work, that does mean that there's, a, there's an issue about being able to get the rights there. Um, and in, in some cases where we've had a featured art, artist, the actual the very first in the A's was a guy called Mike Absalon, um, who probably people have never heard of, but he happened to be 0001 in John's collection. So we tracked him down. He he'd lived in Canada. He was over in Ireland. We brought him over from Ireland. And the record that he actually had, and that was 0001, which is Save the Last Gherkin for me, um, had, uh, wasn't available anywhere. So he actually gave it us that we put it onto SoundCloud and so that's now on SoundCloud so people can actually access that. So we're looking at ways that we can actually make music more available but there is no doubt music rights clearance is really really difficult and it's one of those things that we cheated. We just actually went okay let's let's get it up there, get an interest and then we've got an ability to be able to go to some of the music publishing houses and say right we want to clear these rights. Um, as well as the, um, uh, oh, we haven't even talked about the sleeves, on here we have the front and back cover of every single record and they're all being photographed separately. This is a rights issue. Um, this is an issue that we don't have the time to actually be able to do it. So we took a um, calculated risk, and it was discussed uh, both with the BBC and with the Arts Council, and this was a decision made with the John Peel Arts Centre. So we produced them at low res, um, so that if people actually wanted to use them, they couldn't blow them up to a massive size. Um, and that should anyone complain about the... Um, the album artwork being on there, then we would remove them instantly and apologize. And that's, that's the approach that we've actually taken. So I'm sure there's a lot of people in the room horrified by what I just said. Um, so don't tell anyone, please. <laughs> so um, so that's, that's, a, that's, that's one of the things I'd say, is you've got to try and work around problems when you've got it and there's not a lot of time. If you can actually make a workaround, then that's probably what I would advise you to do. Um, I probably should shut up now, yeah, okay, okay, I should shut up now. Um, so uh, there was one thing, one last thing I would just sort of say is coming back to a question that was asked earlier on as well. Um, the John Peel Centre for Creative Arts is a voluntary organisation. It it's, doesn't really have any members of staff and stuff. We've started working, then we work with John's family. It was a, a really good collaborative affair. And what I would recommend any arts organisation, obviously, because we're a production partner, is to find a production partner to actually produce stuff with so that you're not having to go through some of the headaches because rights issues are something that we deal with frequently. That's it, I'll shut up now. I would really advise asking, you know, your sort of comrades within your, um, you know, the networks that you have already, because there are formal ways to get um, advice, but um, there's also really informal ways, which sometimes can be just as good. Everybody was really enthused about rights, and I spent my whole time, you know, trying to get people excited about rights, and they come into a room full of people who are all desperately excited about it. So um, I think that's certainly a change that we've seen in the past few years. The London Review of Books won one of the commissions for the space uh, with a pitch 
to reimagine the digital literary essay, and if it isn't obvious to you what that means, you aren't alone. Uh, it was deliberately an experiment, and as Will Self, the author who's written the essay, has been reminding us, uh, the word originally means an attempt. And the essay is called Kafka's Wound, and the idea of the wound has been used as a kind of overarching metaphor for a theory about um, our sense of humour and also the way we perceive irony following the experiences of the two great wars, the two world wars, excuse me. Um, so my brief included uh, Kafka manuscripts, footage of Franz Ferdinand's assassination in 1914, uh, Prague between the wars, uh, any European public intellectuals talking about Kafka, German hyperinflation in the 20s, uh, Renaissance paintings of Christ on the cross featuring the wound from the centurion spear prominently, um, the Nazi camp at Theresienstadt, uh, and it was video, audio, stills, text, anything else that was of interest. So this takes us on to the right bit, rights bit. Um, again, it's been touched on, but you can't start early enough. And again, a, a mistake I think I made was staying at the ideas phase for too long. Actually, uh, I don't think there'd ever be anything wrong with saying to people, as soon as you arrive, as soon as you start researching a project, if I license photos in your archive, um, how long would it take to produce them? What sort of prices are there? Are we going to be able to use them in this way? Uh, and then right at the beginning, you can start narrowing things down. Uh, so yes, don't hesitate to make practical inquiries from the start, however much fun uh, the research is. Um, and uh, be ready for that to take up lots of time. Thanks. <laughs> okay, thanks, Ollie. <laughs> okay, it's been, I've found it really interesting this afternoon. I think so many conversations about IP and rights have been about the impediments and the hurdles and not about the fact that actually we're now seeing projects come through right. which work because people have got the passion to solve it. And also a really interesting and important thread about working together to learn stuff mm. um, because there is only, there, you know, every project is different but actually so many of the issues are common, at least in the way you address them. I think that's been an interesting thing that's come through during the course of the day um, for me as well. Um, so I'd like to say thank you to these um, three guys here, um, Ollie and Charlie and Carolyn, for what they've just contributed to the other panellists and to you. So uh, thank you very much for being here. I'm not going to do 15 minutes because there's drink outside. <laughs> um, there's no need to do 15 minutes. You can review it in your own time, think about it. I hope it's been useful to you. This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash artscouncilengland. <laughs>